In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Good morning. Can anybody here use some good news? Good news? You know, it's been quite a week, hasn't it, uh, in the news cycle? Uh, certainly politics. I, I realize that's important. It exhausts me. It, I, it doesn't matter uh, win or lose, regardless of the outcome. I am pretty sure that hell is going to incorporate some requirement to watch political ads. Um, and every election in hell is going to end in a recount. I'm, I'm absolutely sure but then we, uh, we woke up Thursday uh, to the news of another mass shooting, uh, this time at a country music bar on college night uh, south of Los Angeles. And it's just hard to know what to say or what to do or what to think. Uh, not only just about this one awful event, but about the constant recurrence uh, of these, the regularity of these events and just gun violence has all the feel of an epidemic and you know there may in fact be some legislative uh, measures that uh, that would be a help but I actually don't think that would solve the problem because this is a matter ultimately of the heart certainly the heart of the uh, each individual would-be perpetrator but also the collective heart of our nation which is becoming numb to tragedy and that itself, I think, is a tragedy. Fleming Rutledge, who is an uh, Episcopal priest and theologian, uh, I've quoted her several times before, she says, Sin is one of the main subjects of the Old and New Testaments. It is also one of the main subjects in the daily news. And she's right. And so I, for one, give thanks that our passage from Hebrews has a lot Good news, And I want to say that it should not be seen as good news as some sort of uh, retreat from or diversion from the bad news. But rather, I think, is an answer to it. And so, uh, the author of Hebrews gives us the best news that there could be. Number one, Jesus came. Number two, Jesus is coming back. Jesus came, Jesus is coming back. So we want you to do this morning is we want to take a look at what the author says about both of these marvelous declarations and then see how they answer the confusing and I think sometimes heartbreaking times that we live in. So first, Jesus came. Jesus came. You remember over the last few weeks we have heard some remarkable things about about Jesus from the author of Hebrews, we have heard that he is the radiance of the glory of God. That he is the exact imprint of the nature of God. That he upholds the whole universe by the word of his power. That he is superior to angels in every way. And we have heard over and over again that he is the ultimate and great High, uh, high priest who offered himself as a sacrifice and who now intercedes for us to God. And so today, in our passage, we actually have a great summary description of the gospel message. About halfway down in your bulletin, if you're following along, we read that 
He has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. He has appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of Himself. So He appeared. I mean, that's the appearance of Jesus as the Son of God who was born of Mary and who suffered under Pontius Pilate. He appeared. Uh, his appearance was historic. It happened in history. Uh, there was a man named Jesus who had a very large following throughout Palestine in the first century. Now, his divine nature was proven both in his fulfillment of prophecy and in his miraculous works and ultimately in his resurrection from the dead. But his appearance was historic. He actually came in real time. He has appeared. And he has appeared once for all. So we see that his appearance is not only historic, but it's also transcendent. He came for all people, for all nations, at all times. So he appeared once for all at the end of the age. Now, that's not just some sort of mistaken assumption that Jesus appeared at the end of time. What this means literally is that he appeared at the climax of history. And you might even say he appeared as the climax of history. He appeared at the end of the age of the law. He appeared at the end of the age of uncertainty in regards to salvation. Everything was pointing ahead to him. And now the end of the age of pointing ahead to a coming Savior is over because he appeared. He came. So he appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin. Now, clearly, he did not remove the earthly occurrence of sin. That's going to happen when he comes again. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But the purpose of his coming was so that in his death he would remove for us the eternal consequence of sin. This is, in fact, what makes it good news. This is why Jesus came. He came to remove sin. Now, I just, I just want to take a minute to remind us exactly what the Bible means when we talk about sin. Because, you know, it is uh, a little uncomfortable sometimes and certainly unfashionable to talk about sin. And so, uh, we because we assume that that's, it's harsh, it's judgmental, maybe out of date, right? And I don't doubt that really that, that assumption, in some quarters at least, has been rightly earned. But I want you to hear me. Sin is not primarily a list of things that you should not do. As if by not doing those things, we would all be free of sin. Rather, sin is the relentless knee-jerk instinct we have to put ourselves first before God or anyone else. Sin is the relentless knee-jerk instinct we have to put ourselves first before God, before anyone else. And understanding that just helps explain so much about us. 
I mean, for instance, you might ask, why do I keep losing my temper? Well, it's because my instinct is to love myself more than I love someone else. Why, do I, why am I so concerned with what other people think about me? Well, it's because I have an instinct to see that I'm lifted up above others. Why do I keep justifying my own pet bad habits? It's because I instinctively want to be in charge of my own life and not God. Am I any different than anybody else in regards to these things? Nope. Isn't that free? To know that the neurosis that you see in yourself is actually not just your problem. That we all have this in some way. I don't mean to say that sin isn't a big deal. Of course it's a big deal. But I think there is a lot of freedom in thinking of sin first as explanatory before we think of it as judgmental. See, Jesus came to lift our eyes from ourselves and our navel-gazing up to himself. And he came to remove sin in order to reconcile us to God. I mean, removal of sin, forgiveness of sin, that is a glorious truth, but it's not the point. The point is, it's the means to the point. The point is reconciliation with God. To that the relationship that our Heavenly Father made us for would be restored. And that's what's available in Christ. Now, how did He do that? Well, by the sacrifice of Himself, the author says. Through the cross. He gave Himself for you because He loves you. He suffered under God's judgment of sin so that you could go free. Now, maybe you remember from your literature class in high school, uh, Charles Dickens' great novel, The Tale of Two Cities. And towards the end of that novel, there's a character named Charles Darnay. And we find him pacing back and forth in his prison cell, just hours from his own death. And his, his crime was small, but the political machinations of the day required his death. And he is pacing back and forth, and his cell door opens, and Charles Darnay turns to face his executioner and finds instead his friend, Sidney Carton. And Carton's eyes are bright and energetic and determined. And Darnay's a little dazed, and he, he asks, how did you get in here? Well, a spy brought me in, and I've come from your wife, and I, and I bring a request from her. And Darnay says, what, what is it? And before he knows what's going on, Darnay um, uh, Carton has traded boots with him. And he takes off his shirt and trades his shirt and takes off his waistcoat and trades his waistcoat. So they're switching identities. Carton takes the ribbon out of his hair so that his hair falls down like Darnay's and ties Darnay's hair back up in because, you know, it was, they were French and they wore um, long hair uh, back then. And, um, and then uh, quite apart from Darnay's will, Carton thrusts his own identification papers into Darnay's pocket and sends him out with the spy, out uh, into freedom and the life that he longed for but could never have attained for himself. Carton had willingly and lovingly traded identities 
with Charles Darnay and himself remained to die in Darnay's place. And so it is with you and me. Jesus has traded place with you so that you can go free into that relationship that you were made for. To the God who loves us. This is grace. We said grace can stand as an acronym for God's riches at Christ's expense. This is the good news. Right? And it's not the only good news that we have in this passage. Because, number two, Jesus is coming back. The last verse in our passage says that Jesus will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, because he already dealt with that the first time he came, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now, I learned something as I prepared for this passage, uh, this sermon the, the scholar Philip Hughes said that the high priest, and we've talked about Jesus' as high priest, that he would, um, on his day of atonement, that he would make atonement for the people, before the people, and then he would retreat into the temple, away from the people, so that they could not see him anymore, and his job inside was to be with God and to intercede to God on, their, on the people's behalf. And they're all standing outside the temple, eagerly waiting for him to come back out. And then once he has finished his task, he comes back out and they are all so relieved to see the priest that they were waiting for. And that's just the pattern of Jesus, that he came to make sacrifice. He has gone away, is interceding for us, and now we eagerly wait for him. He's come to save those who are eagerly waiting. And you might say, wait a second, didn't he save us the first time? And the answer is yes. I mean, somebody might come up to you and say, hey, when did you get saved? And I think you'd be right to say, well, I got saved about 2,000 years ago on a hill outside of Jerusalem. And they probably mean, when did you accept Christ into your heart? And that's very important as well. But uh, we have been saved on the cross from the consequences of sin. And when Christ returns, we will be saved from the effects of sin. We will be saved to a life, to a kingdom, to an existence that is completely and freely the way God intends it to be. When Christ returns, we will have the full consummation of our salvation. And for all the joy that we can have in Christ in this life, on that day when He returns, the full promise will be fulfilled. Friends, what this means is that there will be a day when there is no more crying. When there's no more heartbreak. When there's no more depression. There will be a day when there are no more mass shootings. There will be a day when there is no more cancer and no more addiction and no more parents burying their children. There will be a day when there is no more sexual assault and no more hatred and no more terrorism or war. There will be a day when there is no more poverty or relational estrangement. There will be a day when there is no more self-righteousness or unfounded indignation where there is no more guilt And there is no more shame. And I think that that, in that day there will be no more politics. 
because there will be one king. And he will have a 100% approval rate. And what that means is there will not be a divided culture. There will be no more lost ballots. There will be no more grandstanding or smear campaigns and no more political ads. Can I get an amen? amen. Right? It is, it is hard, I think, to actually imagine an existence like what awaits us. I mean, in fact, if you ima- anything you can imagine about heaven actually is formed of earthly images. But if you can just take the very best image that you have of heaven, multiply that by a thousand, and just know that you're probably not halfway there. Right? There will be love and laughter unending. There will be community and reunion. There will be worship and unending beauty. There will be health and energy and really good food. With no calories, no cholesterol, and there will be God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, because actually what makes heaven heaven is his full presence. We often talk about heaven in terms of seeing our lost family and loved ones, and they'll be there, but they're going to just say, hey, come with me, I'm going to show you Jesus. Because he's what makes heaven heaven. It really doesn't matter if Jesus comes back in your lifetime or not. In fact, I'll be wonderfully surprised if he comes back in any of our lifetime. But we'll all be there in some way. Everyone who calls Jesus their Lord will all be there to enjoy that full salvation offering forever. And so I just want to hold that out there for you this morning. Because I don't know what you're sad about. I don't know where you're discouraged. Or what makes you numb. Or where you're having to fight to hold on to faith and hope. It might be the national news or it might be something that's deeply personal. You know what it is. In fact, you're having a hard time listening to me right now because you're thinking about it. But there will be a day, like J.R.R. Tolkien wrote, where all the sad things come untrue. This is the good news. And it's not a sort of brain break before we get back to reality. This is the good news that shapes how we approach reality. Jesus appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin. And he did that by the sacrifice of himself. And Jesus is coming back a second time, not to deal with sin because he did that already, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. May we all be found by his own mercy to be among those who are eagerly waiting for him. Amen.